doing. I can always depend on Carrie for a great. I actually want to thank a couple of people that um, actually been on my mind. I was over at the office this morning early, just taking a little bit of quiet time. Um, and uh, I was reminded again how thankful I am for the people that show up early at our office on a Sunday morning to make coffee for y'all. So could we just give a round of applause for our coffee makers? Mark and Kathy Hemstreet brewing pot after pot of coffee this morning. The other group I wanted to say thank you to, um, and, and you may not be aware of this, but they've been uh, just, my, my team internally is just so thankful for them, even in light of what have been a couple of recent instances that we've had to deal with here on a Sunday morning, and that is our security team. So thank you to those guys. We have, they have an odd assignment in that we don't, uh, we don't own the space, we don't even use the whole space, but technically the whole space is open and so their responsibility just to make sure that everyone's safe, that our kids are safe, that everyone's, you know, that we don't have too many children that get lost in the parking lot on a Sunday morning, which yes, has happened. Um, just so thankful for them. Um, a couple of things that I just want to draw attention to as far as uh, service opportunities, um, and there's been times in the past where we forgot to even say anything to you about this, and I felt bad afterwards, and that is this, not this week, but next week on Thursday, uh, which I believe is the 15th of February, we serve lunch to the high school uh, staff. Uh, the students are on parent-teacher meetings, so we have lunch catered, and then we bring a whole bunch of gifts, and then I lead a trivia show and we give away presents to all or to a bunch of the staff at Homer High. It's a ton of fun. If you want to come and help us uh, serve lunch to the Homer High staff, just come and join. Just show up here at 10.30 a.m. on Thursday. You can help us with setup. You can say thank you to them, hello to them. It's a blast. The other one I mentioned last week is a cross experience. If you guys want to jump in with that, you can look on the app um, and help us set up with a cross experience uh, into March. Any of you here struggle with um, comparing your situation to the situation of others? Sweet. The rest of you might not find the rest of what I have to say super interesting. <laughs> For many years, uh, my brother Jason and I um, have uh, fished together, hunted together, and by together, I mean I go with him fishing and hunting and try to keep up, which has been a fun challenge for most of my adult life. And I've always explained to my children that when we go fishing as a group and we go hunting as a group, it doesn't matter who pulls the trigger, it doesn't matter who sets the hook, it just matters that we get something together that we can bring home and share, right? <laughs> And yet my younger children will always ask this question, Dad, did you get a fish? And I say, yes, we got several fish. Dad, did you get a fish? 
Uh, I got a fish. Did you catch the biggest fish? Uh, no, Jason caught the biggest fish. Okay, so you didn't catch the biggest fish today. It was a group enterprise until my six-year-old shamed me publicly. We hunt together, same deal. I told my kids, I said, uh, even this last year, I said, you know what? My heart is happy if we get a moose. If anyone gets a moose, that's, that's a delight. Now with that said, I'm a little more happy when I get the moose, right? Just a little. <clears throat> but there's only one part of actually not getting a moose. And I think that there's someone behind all of this bureaucracy that's trying to shame me. And that is, I don't know if you guys have done this, on the year where you don't shoot a bear or a moose, filling out your tag report. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like, did you get a moose? No. And then a bunch of more questions come up. Did you try to get a moose? <laughs> yes, I tried. And I don't appreciate your tone. How long did you try to get a moose? <laughs> I tried for two weeks, okay. Where did you try to get a moose? <laughs> uh, do you need help next year getting a moose? You know what, leave me alone. We've been talking about uh, John the Baptist and his testimony concerning who Jesus was. Um, you understand that when we, we say, hey, we're, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about John the Baptist and his testimony of who Jesus was. Uh, our whole faith is built upon the testimony of who Jesus was, assembled by the people who knew him, who saw him, who experienced his ministry, who wrote down records of what they witnessed. So really uh, quickly, just to review, um, if you haven't been tracking with us, John the Baptist, uh, uh, John's mother Elizabeth was pregnant the same time that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Their first meeting, you remember this, was actually in the womb. When Mary shows up, it says that John leapt in her womb, so there was some bond there that we don't fully understand. Uh, then you fast forward into the narrative, and John has people leaving. Uh, the city and coming out into the wilderness to hear him teach a message of repentance. People are coming out, they're hearing the message of repentance, they're getting baptized, they're saying yes to God, and then Jesus shows up and John says, this is the guy that I've been telling you about. This is the one that I was sent to open the way for. My ministry is about him. And then John has this really, what I think to be this mind-blowing privilege of baptizing the Son of God. And what happens after that point is the public ministry of Jesus begins to gain momentum as the public ministry of John begins to lose momentum. And Matt talked about this last week when he said that the disciples of John come to him and say, hey, do you realize everyone's going to hear Jesus? And John says, that was exactly the plan all along. And then John is imprisoned because he dared to stand up against the moral decisions of Herod. 
So in our series right now, just to give you some context of where we're at, two weeks ago, I said here, regarding the testimony of John, that John believed that Jesus Christ was greater than he, greater than us. Last week, Matt shared, regarding the testimony of John, that John believed that Jesus' purposes are greater than ours, despite the concern of his friends. Now, I know you're concerned, but the purposes of Jesus Christ are greater than my purposes. I must decrease. He must increase. What I want to address today is one more element in our series that we've entitled Greater, and that is that according to the example of John, I want you to uh, consider in a new way, maybe in a fresh way this morning, that the ways of Jesus are greater. You can concede that he is greater and that his purposes are greater and yet find yourself questioning his means and methods. Anyone? I'm on board with the end goal. I support that. I'm on board with who you are. I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with how we're getting there. When we say the ways of Jesus are greater, we mean all means and methods by which he pursues his goal. John had forfeited everything to say yes to God, famously forfeited everything out in the wilderness, living off of next to nothing. And now he is in a prison from which he will never escape. He's going to die there. And John's not old. I'm 40... Four? <laughs> Is that right? I think I'm 44. Yeah. Okay. My daughter says yes. Uh, John would have been in his early 30s. Any of you here in your early 30s feel like I've done everything I want to do in life? That's young. And yet John has been in prison and he's not going to get out. He's going to die there. Jesus, on the other hand, is, is approaching the height of popularity in his public ministry. And it is a public ministry characterized by lots of social events with prestigious leaders, parties with sinners, with tax collectors. And John, somewhere in John's mind, Somewhere in John's heart, and this is, this is human experience, right? A question forms. Did I get this? Did I get this right? Did I miss something? Here's our passage, Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he went from there to teach and preach in their cities. And now while in prison, John heard about the works of Christ. And he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or are we to look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. For those who are blind receive sight, those who are limp walk. 
Those with leprosy are cleansed, and those who are deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he makes this statement, and it's this statement that I want to make the focus of our time together this morning. He says, and blessed is any person who does not take offense at me. Christ, of course, because of uh, the Spirit enabling him, his wisdom, his discernment, he, he hears the heart of John behind the question. I'm dying in prison. You're on the road upward. Did, we, did, did I miss something? Was I right? Are you the one? Blessed is the person who does not take offense at me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by my ways. And I want to define this word because this is going to be, we're going to work this this morning. An offense means, it's the way that it's used in scripture, an offense is a stumbling block or an impediment that causes me to trip or fall. That's an offense. I'm headed towards Christ. The offense is something that arises in the way that I stumble over and I don't recover. I get stuck there. I stop moving toward him. That's an offense. Let me show you a couple examples of how this is used. John 6, Jesus gives this very famous uh, sermon where he says, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no life. And everyone was horrified. In verse 61, Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, is this offensive to you? In other words, are you stuck? Did you trip in a way that you have not recovered? Is this so bothersome to you that you cannot move forward? That's the word offense, the same word. Is this offensive? One more example, Matthew 13, the story of the two sons, the, the prodigal son and the self-righteous son. Or no, sorry, that's later. This is the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 20. The one sown with seed on the rocky places. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. It's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately he falls away. Falls away. That's offense. He says yes to the Lord, and then saying yes to the Lord causes him some problems, and he stumbles in a way that he never recovers. That's an offense. So you're tracking with the word? Yeah? So what I want to do is I want to give you three. I want to break what I understand Jesus is addressing here, the offense, into three parts. Blessed is the one who's not offended in three parts. After we do that, I want to give you three kind of takeaways at the end that I think are important. The first one, blessed is the one who is not offended by the temporary outcome of many sacrifices. I had a wonderful time up at Alaska Bible Institute the last two weeks talking with students there about the calling of God in their lives. One of the things that we talked about at some length was the human tendency towards transactionalism. And that is, 
that my righteousness is a way of me purchasing certain outcomes for myself from the greatest power in the universe. That's a very normal human approach to religion. If I do these things, God promises these things. Blessed is the one who is not offended by the temporary outcome of many sacrifices. Blessed is the one who having made sacrifices and finds themselves in a place they didn't anticipate they would be, who doesn't in that place stumble irrecoverably in their walk with Jesus. They get stuck there. It's an offense. This was not supposed to go this way. And I included the word temporary because all of the challenges, all of the suffering that we face in this life is temporary. Malachi 3, by the way, I'm going to be tossing a lot of scripture your way this morning, just as examples. Malachi 3.14, you have said it is pointless to serve God. What benefit is it for us that we have done what he required? But you felt that, right? Where you said yes to the Lord, you did the things he asked you to do, and you, you got a bad outcome. And you said, well, then what, what's the point of this? Like, why am I doing this? Luke 15, this is the example of the prodigal son and his self-righteous brother. The self-righteous brother says to the father, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. It's transactionalism. I, through my good behavior, was securing for myself something other than God himself. And when those uh, ulterior goals fall apart, or I begin to realize I might not lay hold of those, I get hung up, I get stuck, I take an offense, I say, it wasn't supposed to go this way. I could teach a whole series right here, but I'll just make this point. Be aware that your disappointment with certain outcomes, if you are willing, serves as a window into the nature of your own idols. Your disappointment, and I don't want to be patronizing, disappointment is real. But in your disappointment with certain life outcomes, if you are willing, they will provide for you a window into the nature of your own idols. What were the things that I was after that I needed for myself, that I was purchasing for myself through my righteousness? If the answer to that question is anything other than God himself, that thing has taken on an idolatrous form in my life. I'm serving something other than God. Blessed is the one who's not offended by the temporary outcome of many sacrifices. John, I realize that you're in prison and I'm going to banquets. And what I want you to know is this, blessed are you if you don't, if you don't get stuck there, if you don't get hung up, don't stop there. There's a blessing on the other side. The 
The second piece of this, blessed is the one who's not offended by the inequity of human hardship. It's not just that I struggle with difficult outcomes, but when I hold up my difficult outcomes and your outcomes, what's the disparity? How do you explain it? You say you did all the right things and that's why you've got good outcomes. Well, I did the same things and I did not get those outcomes. This happens with finances. This happens in relationships. This happens raising children, career opportunities. I don't know why God gave you two little cherubs and gifted me with a couple of Tasmanian devils. And I feel the slight when you look at my Tasmanian devils from behind your two little cherubs and go, I wonder what they're doing wrong. I didn't ask for this. Do you feel that comparison? It takes two people to get married. It takes one to get divorced. And many of you have experienced outcomes in that relationship that you did not want for yourself. You look at your life and you look at the life of another and God says, blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at that inequity, that doesn't get hung up there, that doesn't get stuck there, that doesn't stop moving at that point. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. God certainly is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death and their belly is fat. They're not in trouble like other people, nor are they tormented together with the rest of mankind. I love the honesty. Actually, Psalm 73 is, is worth a read in its entirety, Asaph, serving in the house of God, acknowledges, I looked at my life and I looked at the life of others who don't seem to care about God or righteousness. And I wrestled because they seem to be laying hold of the very things that I would want for my life more effectively than I've been able to lay hold of those things. And I wrestle with the inequity of that. Why? Why is it that I'm here somewhere in the throes between victory and in defeat when others seem to be coasting along? Do you remember in John 21 when Jesus predicts to Peter how he'll die? He says there's going to come a time where you won't get to be in charge anymore. Someone else is going to take you where you do not want to go. And John actually says Jesus was talking about the way that Peter would give up his life. And what does Peter say? He looks to the guy next to him, to John. Well, what about him? And Jesus says to him, if I want him to remain until I come, 
What is that to you? You follow me. The calling is the same. Don't, don't develop an offense when trying to resolve the inequity of human hardship. There's two challenges in this that I see in my own life. First is I typically compare my situation in a slice of time. John's sitting in prison. Jesus is at a banquet making more alcohol. If you take two narrow bands of time, that's difficult. You know what John doesn't know? And John was not around to see. I don't know if you've read the story. It didn't go well for Jesus either. But isn't that human nature? We take my current slice of time and I look across the aisle to someone else's current slice of life experience and I forget the fact that all of our lives are characterized by moments of great sorrow and great joy. And in our comparisons, I'm, I'm, my perspective becomes very narrow. Why am I suffering right now when they seem to be happy right now? And even in that, there really is no universal scale of reference by which we can rate our own pain against the pain that someone else is experiencing. Jesus is not suggesting, I am not suggesting this morning that there is not an inequity in human suffering. What Jesus is saying to John is, blessed is the one who doesn't get hung up there. Blessed is the one who doesn't stop there, unable to move past it, stuck. Have you ever felt that stuck? I've felt that. Number three, blessed is the one who is not offended by God's silence. This is something as I've been reading through this story over and over, it occurred to me that John had made his ministry about Jesus. And Jesus at this point does not make it his ambition to secure the release of John. You understand what I just said? John gave his life, paid dearly to say yes to the calling of Jesus, to point people towards Jesus. Do you think that possibly, maybe, there was even in a small way a sense of being owed something from this friend of his? Jesus, do you think you could do something? Do you think you could put in a word? After dedicating his life to the mission of pointing everyone towards Jesus, Jesus makes a deliberate decision right now to not return the favor by making it his mission to intervene for John. There are times when I can accept an undesirable outcome. I can say, okay, this is, this, it is what it is, I can accept that. And I can decide not to fall into the trap of comparison. And yet this is where I get hung up. God, why are you not doing anything? How long do I have to languish here? Why are you not intervening? I've done so much for you. The least you could do for me is lift a finger. It would be so easy for you. You're all powerful. If you would just lift 
your finger for me and nothing. You been there? I've been there. God, why are you absent? Why are you not intervening? Psalms 83, 1, Psalm of Asaph. God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And God, do not be still. Behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. God, in this moment, when it seems that evil is being quite rowdy, why are you so quiet? And what does Jesus say? Blessed is the one who's not offended. Job wrestled with the same thing very famously. Job 30, verse 16. Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of misery have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains do not rest. By a great force, my garment is distorted. It ties me up like the collar of my coat. He has thrown me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you turn your attention against me. God, if I'm being honest with you, it feels like when I express my need for your help, it's not just that you're responding. It actually feels like you've turned away from me, like you're intentionally ignoring me. That's what it feels like. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who does not take an offense at me. The decisions I make, the way that I sovereignly rule over the affairs of man. I want to give you three quick observations that I think are relevant to directing you inside the context of this invitation to not take an offense, to not get hung up, to not stumble and not get back on your feet and moving towards Christ. The first one is this. It is human nature to be offended by God's ways. And I say that not to defend our position or to make light of it. I say that to point out Our own simple-mindedness and our own constant tendency to take issue with the way God is doing things. We don't naturally question our own finite and limited perspective. We are naturally suspicious of the all-knowing, all-powerful, infinitely good God and creator of the universe. We by human nature, are less naturally suspicious of our own teaspoon of knowledge. And we look out and we say, well, I know how it should be going, and I can't for the life of me figure out why God doesn't understand how this should be going. This is actually in the same passage in Matthew 11, where Jesus kind of illuminates this tendency 
a little further down, and just so you know, in Matthew 11, I'm leaving out quite a bit of really valuable dialogue there that I wouldn't have time for this morning to get into, but it would be important for you to read in its whole. But Matthew 11:16, what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a song of mourning and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, well, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, well, he's a gluttonous man. He's a heavy drinker, and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. He says, you just don't, let's be honest, you just don't like the ways of God. You have an internal resistance to the ways of God. It doesn't come from a place of rational thought or reason. It's a product of your own fallen condition. Number two, and I think this is so critical, God is not dismissive of your heartache and pain. When he says, don't be offended, he's not being dismissive. Our little six-year-old has a habit of hitting his shins on the steps going upstairs in our house, rolling on the floor crying and talking about the step as if it's an, an animate object that leaped out to attack him. And so what do I do in those moments? I get very angry at the step and I lecture the step sternly. And then Talia comes rushing by and says, did someone call for a wambulance? And picks him up, and in like 30 seconds, he's laughing. Think of this. Between me and a six-year-old, there's many times, it's hard for me to really tune into the reality of their pain, right? Like that piece of broccoli on your plate probably doesn't justify this emotional meltdown that you're having, right? And I find, my, I find it very difficult to tune in, like to lower myself to the reality of their situation and see it from their perspective. God is not that way. He does not condescend to your pain and say, grow up and get over it. Which is just another evidence of his goodness and kindness. Psalms 34:18. the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit while in pain, while suffering, and even while asking God the difficult questions. I don't understand. But I'm choosing to trust you. Know that God is present with you. That God is not dismissive of your own heartache and pain. Chris, you guys can go ahead and come up. Last one. He, that is Jesus Christ, is worth the mysteries surrounding his ways. He is worth the mysteries surrounding his ways. While you still have questions, while you still grieve, while you still wrestle, while you find your heart tempted to take up an offense against God, 
That's what I want you to know. He is worth the unanswered questions. That is the life of faith. I'm not saying that this current suffering isn't great, but he is leading you to something greater. Listen to Romans 8, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's Paul talking. He says, when everything is made known in eternity, you will not regard the current sufferings as a steep price to pay for the incomprehensibly great reward that you have in Christ. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. His ways lead to his purpose, and his purpose is to bring you to himself. He is greater. I love this simple reassurance, Psalm 62. My soul waits in silence for God alone. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, and I will not be greatly shaken. This is the person who says, I've asked all of my questions, I've not got all of my answers, but I'm choosing not to take an offense choosing to just present myself before the Lord. God, not my will, but your will be done. And then you notice what the psalmist says. And then I was just, then I was done. I just let it, I let it be. I came before the Lord in silence. Entrusting myself to him. You know that that's true freedom. Blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. His purposes are greater. His ways are greater. Most importantly, he is greater. And so we come to this part of our service every Sunday where we have an opportunity through worship to express our conviction, not from just our mind, but from our hearts, that he is greater by praising him in song. We're gonna do that together. I love this part of being together, by the way. Another way to express that is to take communion. There's a couple stations around the room. I have no life in me except for the life that is in me because of Christ, his body, his blood. And actually, one of the ways that you, you express his greatness is through giving. So you can give during this time. And if you're at that place, you've tripped, you've fallen because of your current situation, you're trying to climb up back on your feet, and you say, I would really benefit from someone with faith to reach down and help me back up. There's some people over here on this side that would love to pray with you. You don't have to walk it alone. We've been there. We know what that's like. So invite, uh, go ahead and head on over there if you want prayer or for any other thing that you want prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Would you guys stand? Let's come before the Lord together. I'm gonna read you a 
couple of verses, but I'll pause after each verse, and you're going to respond with, bless the Lord. You ready? Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. The one who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. The one who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Bless the Lord. If you're on the fence, today could be the day that you say yes to Jesus, that you turn to him in confession and give him your unequivocal yes. If you're stuck there, talk to one of us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to meet with you. I'm going to ask our ministry prayer team uh, to stay over here for a couple of minutes. If you want prayer for any reason, you can join them. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, come and talk to us. We have some help for you. We don't officially end until 1230. Stick around, help tear down, invite someone to lunch. And we'll see you tonight uh, at Men's Chapel at the Rock at 630. God bless.